I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gunna Geek Show, not to be confused with the fake one. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. So wait, this isn't the unofficial Gunna Geek Show. No, it's not. It is the official, official, unofficial, official show. We've also got SP with us. I need to know who is pirating us because that is awesome. And I want to give you kudos. The only pirates that we have are the ones that are on the great seas. Arg, Arg. Yes, we're here to talk some geeky stuff. If you didn't know this, we do this show once a month. That is what we do here on the official Gonna Geek show because, hey, we were going to cancel it and we said, no, we're not going to cancel it. We're going to do it once a month. So so we just keep on carrying on once a month. And that's what we do here on the official Gonna Geek show. Hey, but you can check out some other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com that release a lot more often than that, including let me get these plugs out of the way at the beginning of the show because I want to give these two a shout out right now. We've got Chris Farrell on the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast. You can check Which them out is- there. Been on hiatus for the last two and a half weeks as we took a holiday break, but yes. <laughs> and you can also check out SP on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can check that out there. And if you want, you can hear me on Better Podcasting, but you shouldn't pay attention to me on that. Pay attention to the cool guy over there. His name rhymes with Marmate Maya Mir. Who? I don't know. What? Marmite? I don't know. But let's go ahead and get into the news. All right, we've got a a fun story to start us all off. I don't know why it took me so long to find the word fun, but we do have a fun story because it's all about TVs. It is. So if you weren't paying attention, if you're someone who likes gadgets and things like that, you may have noticed that this past week was the Consumer Electronics Show out in Las Vegas. Our friend of the network, uh, one Cody Goff, was actually out there moderating a few panels at CES. So follow his Twitter feed to find out some more stuff on that at Producer Cody. But one of the cool things we get every CES is just this this rushing wave of all these different cool tech products and tech demos, some of which will never actually be done for anything but a tech demo, but some of which are pretty cool. And I wanted to talk about one of those products that was showcased at CES this time around. And whether it actually goes to market, I'm not really sure, other than just a few limited cases, because I think they said they're really planning to sell like 100 units when it first begins. But we're talking about a wireless TV, because I don't know about you guys. I hate all those wires on my TV, having to having to run all those different HDMI cables up into my TV and do all the switching on the back of that TV. It's a pain in the butt. So I want to get rid of that. And luckily, there's a way to do that with the exception of one wire. Potentially, because you might need power on occasion. That's but, not wireless then. But this product I'm talking about is, in fact, wireless because they put batteries on their wireless <gasps> TV. We're talking about a company called Displace. 
that has using one of the LG 4K OLED displays. And uh, they've made a wireless TV that you can stick on any wall, basically. And I think I first saw this on YouTube, actually. I believe it was on Austin Evans' YouTube channel, who is a, a tech YouTuber, things like that. And then I saw an article on The Verge that also dives deep into this. But yes, there is a company called Displace. They're building wireless televisions. And I'm not lying. It's an LG OLED M screen, 55-inch OLED display. A single one of these displaced televisions will cost $3,000. Excuse me. For that money, you'll get the display, uh, which is a typical LG display. Four batteries that you can put in that phone with a charging station and whoa, whoa, a bait. Put in that phone? You said phone. Yeah. Well, it's, excuse me, that television. Sorry. Okay. No, you put in that television? it's a really big phone. It, it's a, you, you, you hold it <laughs> up and everything. <laughs> Makes sense to me. It's the iPad Super Pro Max. But no, this is in fact a television <laughs> that you run off of batteries. They sell four battery packs with this, plus a charging hub. And then additionally, a base hub that wirelessly transmits all of your entertainment to the 55-inch screen. Now, they were not showcasing this hub for public display on the CES show floor. But what they've basically said is the base station is something you can tuck away. And it uses Wi-Fi 6E to basically connect wirelessly to your television and push the signal across. Does it push? Does it pull? Does it just throw like a catapult? I mean, push would be the right use for what we're doing here. So push. I maintain that push is not the correct technical term. I think the correct technical term would either be catapult or trebuchet. I'll go with it. Yeah, I'll allow it. Now, as if that wasn't interesting enough, you can pair four of these TVs together for a 110-inch 8K display if you want. Displace will sell you a four-television bundle for $9,000. So you'll basically be getting the last television free. Displace has said that the television with the batteries in it will weigh about 20 pounds, meaning that's light enough for you to be able to pick up and move from room to room if you're having a viewing party or you've decided, I don't want my TV in the living room while I cook dinner. I'm going to move it out to the kitchen and stick it to the wall so I can watch my Netflix on the giant screen display. Chris, when's the last time you made it into a gym? Me? Yeah. Well, I don't go to the gym, but I do work out at home. So. Oh, okay. You, but you work out at home? Yes. Well, okay. So then you can lift the 20 pounds. Steven, when's the last yes. time you did any weights? I don't lift anything. I don't even I don't even lift up the pen. I have my kids come and lift up a pen to pass to me and, and do the writing. Then no, not everybody can do this because Stephen, of course, cannot lift the 20 pound. Fair. TV. Fair. <laughs> so I did mention you could move this from room to room. And since it's wireless, as long as you're in range, everything should stream accordingly to your television. The question is, do I have to have fancy mounting brackets or anything like that in each room? No, you don't. Hey, Chris, can I stop you there? I have a question for you. Do I have Go to ahead. have fancy mounting brackets in order to have this TV? <laughs> yes, Stephen, you have to have fancy mounting brackets mounted everywhere. No, no. It's actually a pegboard, and you just mount it to the pegboard wall, just like you would have in those old tool sheds and things like that. But I kid. No. <laughs> and actually, the way you do mount this is probably stranger than thinking you'd have to have mounts everywhere. It's kind of got a vacuum seal against it that it uses. So when you press the television against a flat surface for a few seconds, the system detects that you want to stick a TV in that spot and powers up a vacuum. Once it's sat there for about five seconds of you holding it in place, it's adhered and it basically vacuum seals and sticks itself to the wall. Now, I'm sure if you went and hung off the TV, it would fall down, but it is secure enough that people bouncing into the wall, knocking into the wall, things like that, are not going to knock your 20 in, excuse me, your 20 pound 
TV off the wall. So yes, we are using a mini vacuum powered by the batteries inside the TV to make a vacuum seal to hold this against the wall. I'm sure you guys can see where the potential pitfall might be coming into place here. When the batteries run out. <laughs> ding, see, ding, ding. That's <laughs> why it's in order to be truly wireless, we'll have to go with that new totally wireless charging capability. I mean, supposedly there are tech demos that have showcased mm -hmm. it. So in theory, it would work. But yes, this does vacuum seal against the wall using the batteries. So the real question is, I put four batteries in the back of this thing. How long is this actually going to work? So according to Displace, they say if you fully charge all four and put them in there, you can do six hours of TV a day for 30 days or seven and a half days of nonstop viewing before the television runs out of batteries. Now, granted, battery life degrades based off different temperature, based off time, things like that. If you do manage to drain all four batteries while it's still on the wall, it could potentially fall because those batteries are powering that vacuum system. They have, however, claimed that the system will give you many warnings before the batteries become fully depleted, excuse me, depleted and it falls off the wall. But yes, you can run out of batteries and have this drop. Now, the way it is designed from what I can tell is you can hot swap out and say you have two batteries that are empty. You can just pop the two batteries out and charge them and it will run off of say, half the batteries being plugged into it. So in theory, you could just keep rotating batteries through, but there is the potential that if you're having a, say, Super Bowl party or something like that, and you forget to charge your TV, your TV could run out of power and fall off the wall in the middle of your Super Bowl. But how good would it be if, say, somebody went to kick a field goal and it fell off as it went through the uprights? Like, wouldn't that be great timing? It would, it would be like a, a, a real life experience. In theory, I mean, uh, Ken in the chat room is asking, what if the wall is textured? So they've said in most cases, it seems like it will stick fine. Now, porous things, very porous things like brick, which is also uneven, you're probably not gonna be able to get a vacuum seal there. But if you think about how the seal is built and like the rubber they use to do that, it's gonna give you some flex and some give when it comes to regular walls and things like that. So it's really just highly porous things where it can't make a seal where it wouldn't be able to go. And again, let's also keep in mind, they're planning on selling like 100 of these units. It's a glorified tech demo at this point in time to showcase not necessarily the portability of it, but I think more of the wireless streaming using Wi-Fi 6E to basically be like, hey, you want to put this TV in your entertainment center? You don't want to have to run a bunch of cables to connect your TV? Just put this back in your entertainment closet and you plug all of your things into our, into our central box that then streams everything to your TV. Now, if you're a video gamer, you're probably adding a crap load of latency into place which isn't going to be helpful, but for watching movies and stuff like that, you can easily adjust your speaker settings and things like that to dial things in accordingly and not have to worry about running a bajillion cables. So I think it's an interesting concept. I think it's pretty cool. They're using a commercially available LG screen to do it. And this is one of those things that's quintessentially CES, where you just see a really wacky, cool, weird product that's there and you go, okay, this is really neat. It'll probably never see the light of day for conventional users. And it probably shouldn't because what's the practical use for say one of us on this show to have a 55 inch wireless screen that we can just pick up and move from room to room. There's probably I not much of a use case can there. Think of a few uses for that. By the way, would it be able to stick to the side of a glacier, the ice cliff of a glacier? Would that work? I mean, assuming you could make a seal. Yes. But like you'd a probably seal, have to like, have like a an fairly... animal seal. Or a club one. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, by the way, I think you hit it on the head here. Not not the seal. Uh, the uh, the uh, you described CES as having wacky, weird products. Uh, sometimes they're wacky, weird things that you just wish would go away and never see again. Which I is why I call CES Kess, which is the same as the Voyager character. I see what you did there. Right, right. Well. I don't know if you guys have been, you know, paying attention, but I think I sent you guys a picture of me watching a football game and when Harry met Sally and on two TVs in the same room. And I had to bring in a new, another TV to do it. It was just a 32 inch TV. Now, if I had this 55 inch TV, I would gladly do that. So, I mean, yeah, I have a use for it. And in theory, you could just prop it up against a wall. And I'm sure that there would be some kind of mounting bracket that could be made so that you don't have to rely on the vacuum seal. But I could see some potential interesting use for it when it comes to like trade shows and things like that, because, okay, yeah. we got to take down the booth. We don't have to worry about pulling cables down, things yeah. like that. We literally just put the TV down, put it in its case. And then when we get to the next show, put the TV back up, engage the vacuum seals, and then overnight charge the batteries from day to day. Because what did they say? Seven and a half straight days of yeah. planned signals. So in theory, that'd cover a trade show, no problem. I could literally put the TV over my 65 inch TV in my great room. I could do, yeah. I could use this. This is actually pretty cool. I've heard about this before, by the way. So I'm not coming into this blind. And I thought this was a neat idea. I think the wireless room charging would be an even greater idea to make this possible. But what are you going to do if you run into a power outage? It's I'm, coming I, I'm going to counter. I'm I'm, uh, I'm going the opposite way because that was going to be my comment. I actually think that any form of ongoing current uh, power is not the niche for this. I think the battery is the niche for this. And, and especially when you got things like power outages. So I think the fact that, you know, it's completely wireless and it's running on battery. And if you have a power outage, it, you know, it, it's unaffected. And yeah, but at, your base station is. So you're not going to be able to stream anything to the TV. You just have a yeah, TV that can stay hanging on that's the wall. Version yeah. Two. Version yeah, two. Put a battery in there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like I, a UPS or a, one of these batteries. You just cycle it through something like that. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think it's neat. I, I don't know if it's going to find a point in anything, but to get to your guys's point, to put it in terms of an old guy, right. And, <laughs> and I, this is not me. Cause I get CES, but for old guys, the concept cars at auto shows. That's what CES is. That's what you're bringing this stuff in. The, the old concept yeah. cars like that will never see the road whatsoever. It's just cool art that they throw on there and say, this is what we're looking at. No, it's not. You're just doing something weird so you get the press. And there's a bunch of those there, too. I mean, there was a bunch of people who went out there to go look at new EVs and look at new self-driving kind of stuff in between like new TVs and new computers. So, like if you want to go and look at computers, all these people bringing their new concept computer devices. There's all sorts of stuff that is there that may never see the light of day to your conventional consumer, but is more to be like, hey, here's the wacky, weird stuff we can do with this tech that may turn into something consumer facing a few years down the line. Yeah, it, it's fun. And I, I do have to say, this looks like a neat idea that I think will probably, if, if let's hypothetically say this exact form found its way to commercial sale. I don't think it would be able to be geared at uh, consumers. I, I think you would run into a huge amount of problems with kids and the kid factor, because as you mentioned, you know, you're not going to hang off of it. 
as soon as you're marketing something towards mm -hmm. families, that's that's a legality that's going to come into play. But I could see it being marketed towards like for the the situation you described, trade shows and, and you know, commercial avenues. I mean, I guess for a consumer perspective, to me, it still comes down to would you want your primary display to be this that you could pick up and move wherever? Probably not. Would you want it to be your secondary? Maybe. But at the same time, your secondary television is used a lot less. So you're more likely to forget that, oh, crap, I didn't charge the batteries in my TV this month until you hear something fall down off the wall. <laughs> now, maybe they have an app that will push you a notification or something. I don't know. I can see somebody that's in kind of a mobile life situation, like van life or sailing or something like that, where they their preferred place to watch TV is like outside of the RV under an awning. And I know if you have very expensive RVs there, they make TV displays that mount to the exterior or they mount in one of the shelves that you pull out or whatever. But I could see this being a very possible replacement because some of those TV mounts are very, very expensive to add to an RV. And if you're driving an older IV, RV, IV, older RV, then this sort of thing would make. Do so I do see a market for this, but I'm not sure it's going to sustain their production. Agreed. All right. The question, the last question that I have for you on this before we move on, could I use the vacuum ceiling to strap it to the side of Starship S24? No, no, okay. not for long, at least. Actually, now that you mention it, that's not a bad idea for the 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 panels that they put on there for the cooling tiles that's just coming down. It's not a bad idea to make sure that they stay on. But anyway, what's going on with Starship S24? I think that's what Stephen was getting to. It's been a month since we've been together. And in that month, actually not much has happened, but some pretty cool things are going to happen. So after we recorded last time, which I believe was the December 12th. So on December 15th, Starship 24 completed a single engine static fire test at Starbase in Texas. And SpaceX had a drone that was hovering right above that thing. And they took a video of the whole thing. It is amazing. You see this flame coming out of the bottom of it. And just looking at the nose of the Starship, you see this flame and all this, you know, the smoke and the debris that's going out from around it. It was pretty cool. And after that, can I just interrupt for a second here? Because you know what yeah. the smoke, the picture of the smoke reminded me of? It reminded me of the Next Generation episode where I think it's Picard gets frozen in time or or he sees the uh the slow warp core breach and doesn't he make a happy oh. face that, <laughs> yes. that's what it reminds me of yeah it, i guess so it kind of also reminded me i think there's a similar viewpoint in uh in in first contact when Riker and and troy and um what's his name the the guy that invented the warp core were Zephyrin Cochran. Zephyrin Cochran. they were launching up i think there was a very uh, similar viewpoint there anyway Booster 7 was on the stand, I believe, the last time we talked. It went back to the uh, production site to get more robust shielding between the engines. So if you have one engine that goes out like in an explosion or something like that, it doesn't take out all the engines. There's 33 huge Raptor engines on the bottom of this thing. So they were putting in 
baffles and different things to assure that one going out wouldn't take them all going out. It's a safety thing. So that came back to the launch site today or last night, I think. And today it was put on the orbital launch mount. And then Starship 24, by the way, today is January 9th for anybody listening to this later. So Starship 24 was literally stacked two hours before we recorded on top of Booster 7. And it took only one hour to make that happen. So it started three hours before we started recording. It was done two hours before we were recording. That is a massive increase in speed from before. And it's just going to get faster. And these are not small vehicles. So the Starship 24 was going up and translating over and putting down and mating onto the booster really quickly. And they're going to need to do this in order to sustain long-term operations. So they're going to get faster and faster at it. So it's mated and it's ready to begin what everybody assumes to be its final test circuit before it launches. Now, there was a report that was circulating locally at Boca Chica that it was going to launch tentatively on January 31st. Multiple outlets were starting to report this. Multiple people that cover SpaceX in Boca Chica were starting to tweet it. So Musk, Elon Musk, he owns SpaceX as well as Twitter and Tesla. He tweeted almost immediately and said, nope, we are looking at a launch in late February. March possibly is probably more likely. And you just put to bed that we're not going to go January 31st because you have all sorts. Now that you have the final rocket in place, you still have to do a wet dress rehearsal. You have to make sure it's all fueled and ready to go. Maybe a static fire of the main engine again, now that the booster seven is out there. So we'll see exactly when it's going to happen, but it looks like it's getting closer and closer. And any way you slice it, the biggest rocket ever in human history, the launch of that is coming soon, which is important because you can't land anybody from the Artemis, the NASA Artemis program. You can't land anybody on the moon without Starship. Why are you going to slice a rocket? You said any way you slice it. Yeah, dice it too. <laughs> I want to have a rocket sandwich, so I'm going to thin slice it. But, you know, you might be better off with the Falcon Heavy because it comes in three slices already. Mm, but I like really thin slices. Like, I want it like thin enough you can hold it up and see light through it. Do you have one Delicious. of those meat slicers on your countertop? No, I don't. I, I don't need that. That I have too many countertop appliances already. So, what's the thickness no between a shave and a slice? Do you know? I don't. I have no uh, idea. I, I don't. A mouse's may- whisker. I don't know either. I was just asking. I know you can order both from the deli, right? You can either this shave it or you can slice it. And I, there, there is a difference in the millimeters, and I just don't know what that amount is. Maybe one of our listeners knows. I think someone needs to go undercover and work at the deli at their local grocery store to find <laughs> That's out. It's like one of the worst jobs to have ever. <laughs> we'll I'm call not... it undercover podcaster. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can find it out without actually having to do that, but that's okay. That, that'll make a but good But we can make reality television shows out of it. Is <laughs> this goes, it's going to be expended, right? It's going to, you're going to drop the booster somewhere in the Gulf. You're going to drop the, 
starship right off the coast of Hawaii. They're going to sink. They're not going to recover them. And they do have Booster 9 ready to go. They have, I believe, Starship 25 and 26 ready to go, and they're assembling 27. So once they get the success here, they or even a failure, they can make corrections and then launch another one, I think, faster, as long as they don't obliterate the launch tower. That's the problem. So another thing that I looked into is the launch tower stuff, right? So you've got one in Boca Chica, you have one in Kennedy Space Center. There are parts for another one sitting in a storage dock or a storage lot that SpaceX has at Kennedy Space Center. They are ready to start constructing a third tower anytime and anywhere. And it kind of makes sense. So if you're going to do operations out of Kennedy Space Center, if you have a mishap with one that comes in and is being caught by the launch tower and there's a mishap and then it goes down, you'd have another one to be able to continue launch operations. So I, I think if I am correctly assessing what's going on, the second tower is going to be constructed at Kennedy Space Tower or the third. But there's the two oil rigs out there left. And maybe if they want to continue this with Hawaii, they can construct one in Hawaii too. Who knows? Well, I look forward to following this because this does look like a real, real fun thing to see when it finally happens. Either if it's successful or if it blows up, it's going to be a spectacle. Are you going to try to go? Truth. I If if I get enough warning, yeah, I'm going to try to go. Nice. That's exciting. So you can have yourself a launch lunch then. I'm going to have to bring my own because allegedly there's nothing around the Boca Chica Starbase. So you'll be able to get yourself a nice thin deli meat launch lunch. That's See, it is. you need to go to the deli to learn how to properly slice things. You can just take a bunch of lunch meat and, pay, and bread out there and make people sandwiches. I think I'll catch the Piggly Wiggly or whatever it is down yes. there. <laughs> Wigglies are awesome. I wish we had one. All right, well, moving on to the next news point here. I wanted to follow up with my beloved Apple because, as you all know, I am the only Apple user on this podcast. Uh, SP and Chris both hate Apple. They both told me that they will never, yeah. ever use an Apple product ever. There, there's ever. certainly not a MacBook Air plugged into a 4K monitor on my left side right now. In fact, I believe, not. I believe both of them actually took all Apple products that they have ever purchased before, and they actually took them and they threw them out their window and sent me a video, and then they ran over them. That's how much they hate Apple. The only way I would be yes. able to take said video is on an Apple product. <laughs> we uh, did this because steven said he would bankroll our migration to yeah. other products uh no i wanted to talk about something that's actually to me a bit disappointing to hear the rumors coming out that it looks like apple is maybe canceling the iphone se this is something that uh came out from a long time uh apple rumor person i don't know what you call them uh gossip source uh rumor source and uh Apple reporter, I'm not sure. And they are saying, quote, my latest survey indicates that Apple will likely cancel or postpone the mass production plan for the 2024 iPhone SE4. I think this is due to the consistently lower than expected shipments of mid to low end iPhones. So this is looking like we may have seen for now the last generation of the iPhone SE. The reason I say for now is because you might remember that for a long time, the first version of the iPhone SE sat very stale before the last few generations came out. And I thought they were doing okay, but I always liked having this option available 
there's a few people that I, I personally know that were just interested in getting an iPhone and, and this, this fit the bill for them. And it had to half decent hardware inside. It was just the old style of layout. And I think to me, that was always a question that I had was when would they move past the physical button and the other hardware that was necessary for this style of phone, but was no longer being mass produced. Like when they created the iPhone SE, they had tons of physical buttons. They had tons of displays and, and you know, things that they could they could use for this iPhone SE layout. But the fact that we're multiple generations into the the edge to edge displays, there seemed like there's probably a production issue to me as far as how that would have worked out for the net, you know, sustaining that old style for long term. But I liked seeing this on the market and I thought that it was really helpful for a lot of users out there. I think the reason why they stopped production or are going to stop production is there's just not that much of a demand for it. And most of their profits are on the higher end stuff anyway. Granted, they're selling less, but they raise the price. They're getting more profit out of it, like with the iPhone 14 Pro Max. And even the iPhone 14 is is pretty good. It's close to $1,000 or something like that. They also were stopping production of the iPhone mini. I, I forget if it was 12. I think it was the 12 where they did the small one again, which was the, you know, the old iPhone four format. What was yeah. that? Three and a half inches or something like that. They never yeah. did it for the 14, right? I don't even know if no. they did it for the 13. I think they canceled it for the 13. There was rumors that they were going to bring it back, but they didn't. And now with foldables being a big hit, in the Android market, I just see Apple going to more towards foldables rather than uh, smaller individual screens. Interestingly enough, you said about the button in, in like the home button. My dad just moved from an iPhone 8 to an iPhone 12. Both are my old phones. And I gave him my 12 as I got the 14. And I had forgotten the confusion of going from that physical home button to no physical home button anymore. And he was asking me questions like, how do I turn this on? You know, how do I operate it? Fortunately, my son is living with them right now and he was able to run them through it and he got it right away. It wasn't like he he's inept or anything, but I had forgotten about that. Oh, how do I actually work my phone now that I don't have that physical home button? So there is a jump in the fit form between I believe it was the iPhone 8 and the iPhone X or 10 or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but to get back to this, yeah, I think there just wasn't a market for it or the profit margin was gone. And here's another thing that I haven't heard, but I question. Apple is trying to get out of China for their main production. I don't know if it was more advantageous for them to produce the SE in China and that they just decided to shut down the production because to move it anywhere, they just weren't going to make as much money or it was going to cost them or something like that. So you got to think in terms of that as well. But uh, I think a lower cost iPhone is eventually going to be back in the rotation. I just don't know how many years it's going to be before it comes back. So in our chat, we have a user that's saying, do you think we'll see a return of the mini series of the iPhone considering the 14 plus didn't go as well as Apple hoped? Uh, I, I always had a theory on the mini and I, I'd have to go back and look at the specifics. But what I do specifically remember 
when I when this mini came out was if you went and you looked at the previous year's iPhones. So there was when did the mini come out? Was it the 12? Was it 12 that had the it, mini? It was so, just one year. So 12, it was the yeah. iPhone 12. So when you went and you looked at the price of the iPhone 12 mini, it was the same as the iPhone 11 regular. More or less. It was in that that general ballpark. My theory was always that they needed to needed to or wanted to increase the regular price point and and I've I spoke about this before. A lot of the top tier manufacturers of phones did did that all at the same time. So I always felt like the mini was there to create a placeholder for a less expensive phone. And you you could have Apple saying, look, our, our base price is still the same, but it was actually a lower tier phone than what the base price had been on the previous year. That was the way I had always felt the mini mini's place was was more as a price point thing as opposed to an actual functionality thing well and i think the fact that it no longer exists kind of reflects that too i i think what we saw with both the se and the mini is that oh there's a bunch of people that got really excited when they saw the announcement because oh finally i don't have to have these giant phones but you go and look at the sales numbers and the juice just isn't worth the squeeze for apple or for other companies that did similar things because okay i've got to put time into production costs, research costs, figuring out how to tool these up appropriately and make the smaller version. And I'm going to arbitrarily take a number here. They sold, say, 30% as well as the full-size version. The investment's not worth the return there. And granted, I pulled that 30% out of nowhere, but there's a simple reason they canceled them because they weren't making the return on them that made it worthwhile to do. So while there's a very vocal group of people that were quite excited to have the smaller form factor, most people were just like, eh, I don't care. I want the bigger one. And then we got into that further divide we have now where, okay, there's the regular version of the phone that's slightly smaller, or you can get the pro version that costs somewhere between one to $300 more that is a slightly larger display on top of better hardware and bigger battery. So I think that's where we are now is if you want the pro caliber phone, you have to acknowledge the trade-off is you're going to have the bigger screen. If you want the smaller screen, you don't get the pro model because they don't offer it in that. And who knows what that means once foldables hit the market, because then there's different things to consider. I don't really consider foldables mainstream yet. You see more and more adoption, but price is still a problem there when you go, okay, I can buy, let's pretend Apple made a foldable right now. I can buy my iPhone 14 Pro Max or whatever for say $1,100, or I can drop an additional $900 to get a foldable version of it that's slightly larger and say what you want, nobody's been able to lick the issue of foldable phones are definitely more fragile. It's a tough thing. Now, it's emerging in, say, four or five years from now. It could be very different. And there are some great evangelists for foldable tech out there. And if you get a chance, go on YouTube and check out Mr. Mobile's YouTube channel. And he is a huge proponent of foldable phones. He loves the Motorola Razr. He loves other flip phones and things like that. And he's done a bunch of long-form reviews of hey, here's my extended one-year review of using these phones. But the problem still is, is that joint where you fold things, stuff gets in there and it can break. Yeah, that's the three things that I would have against any iOS device. I still buy them, but cost is one factor. You said 900 bucks for an iPhone 14. So granted, I did the maximum you could. iPhone 14 Pro Max, one terabyte. That's the, the best phone that you can get, well, not necessarily the best, but it's the most expensive, $1,599, $1, so it's $1,600, right? So 
using your example, throw another $900 out there. That's close, getting close to $3,000 at the end of the day. And so cost is one reliability is another. And that just like the notch is a consideration for a lot of people. The fold is a consideration for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's getting smaller. It's getting less pronounced. It's going to almost go away, if not flat out, go away someday. But for now, for wide adoption, as you pointed out, I think there is an issue there. I have been debating if there was a foldable option in two to three years when I'm upgrading my 14, would I do it? I'll have to see it at that time. But I think in five years, I might be more apt to do it. Right. So I need to course correct here a little bit is I had mentioned the expense factor would come into play. Now, I'm right when it comes to, say, the Galaxy Fold phone, which is the one that unfolds on the vertical hinge. That one is I went and checked the base model is eighteen hundred dollars used to be two grand when it came out. So that is a price premium compared to what you would get and say the pro what is Galaxy S22? Is that what the current one is? U22, I think. Something like that. Now, the trade-off, which is what I keep forgetting, and this price point's compelling, is you got the Galaxy Z Flip 4, which is the one that folds on the horizontal hinge, horizontal axis. That's a grand. That's where you're getting to the point of, okay, this might be worth taking a shot at. And I think Samsung does something like you get one free screen replacement or something like that, or one relatively cheap one. I can't remember exactly how it works. That becomes a more compelling price point because for comparison's sake, I have a a Nexus, not Nexus, Pixel 6 Pro, and I think I paid $800 new for it. So $200 more, a Galaxy foldable could be compelling, but the thing you have to consider there is most of the hardware that's in those folding phones, specifically the Flip, is not necessarily the same as what is in their current cutting edge phone. It's about half, six years, excuse me, six months to 12 months behind tech-wise in comparison to what's in their flagship phones. So you're still paying a premium to have a folding phone. The premium in this case is my compat not compatibility, my long-term usage potentially impacted because it's not as flashy and new on the inside. Now, Samsung is really pushing the envelope here on trying to get to a point where foldables become more mainstream because it's a major differentiating point between them and Apple and other Android providers here in the United States. So it's going to be an interesting growth market. I don't think I'm jumping on it. I'm curious to see what happens when the rumored Google foldable phone comes out because there has been leaks coming out from different tech builds of a couple different foldable pixel phones. But again, I'm not ready to make that jump mostly because I'm not always gentle on my phones and my phone lives in my pocket a lot where there's lint and all it takes is a little bit of lint getting in that hinge and your OLED screen's fried. Not yeah. fried, but you you kill part of it. I, you nailed it, right? Like, you know, for me, I'm the same way. I'm I'm worried like I'm not that gutsy and and there's not enough people out there right now who I can sort of like I can't turn to a colleague at work or, or three colleagues at work and go hey how do you like your foldable phones right you know and, and that's the step that for me I probably will need to be at where I can kind of pick some people's firsthand knowledge before I'll consider it now that's not to say there wouldn't be a great promo price to come along and maybe I, you know, I'd be swayed. But for me, I, I'm just I'm worried I'd, I'd put up all this money and be be let down. So I, I'm I'm not that gutsy. <laughs> so, Chris, you mentioned you have a what a Pixel 6, 6 Pro, 6 Pro. And you plan on having that how long? I have the Pixel Pass. So every two years, basically, I get a new phone. OK. And continue to pay my flat monthly fee, including all the Google services. So I guess 
Here's what I would say. Since Pixel Pass comes with two accidental damage protections, if they did a foldable phone when it was time for me to upgrade, say Pixel 8 timeframe, and the price was relatively comparable, maybe I'd consider it because getting it repaired would be included as part of that subscription that I'm paying. But I I don't know. And I, I don't really want to be an early, I don't want to be a first gen adopter for Google's new tech. I've been burned there before. So getting the first Google foldable phone, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking in terms of longevity and like my 12, well, heck, my eight, my dad just stopped using my eight. And that was what, five years ago that it came out. So that phone has been in service for like five years. The, he just got my 12 and he's going to be using that for two years. So that phone's going to be in service for like four years. My phone, my 14 is going to be in service for longer than two years. Right. So right. that is the benefit even though they're more expensive but that is the benefit of buying them straight out and and being able to use them the usability part is really what i'm getting to not necessarily the price but the usability if you have a foldable i and, and you guys mentioned lint and everything but just the mechanics of it it's going to wear over time we've all had flip phones or whatever they they don't last forever you now granted the technology is a little bit better now but it's going to wear at some point. So I don't think you can plan on using one of those for more than two years. I think two years is going to be the extension of where I'd want to be. And matter of fact, if I had a foldable, I'd want to be on a like an annual upgrade path because it's just the technology is going to go further faster and it's just going to wear. So that's just my two cents on it. Your pressure point's always going to be that folding screen. That's always going to be your problem. And like I mentioned, when we started the foldable discussion, it's really worthwhile to go check out Michael Fisher, aka Mr. Mobile's long-term folding phone reviews that he's posted on his YouTube channel. That, that's got some really interesting stuff of, he's a guy that his daily driver has been a foldable of varying different models. He always has to review phones, of course, for a couple of years now at this point. And it's it's kind of interesting. It's not enough to make me jump, but it's interesting. The other issue would be water resistance or waterproofing. Right. And they are not to the same water resistance and waterproofing as we have in our closed system phones because there's no, we don't have a hinge we have to worry about here. And I think like in the Samsung phones, it's a combination of like brushes and some kind of hydrophobic coating on the inside that allows them to be waterproof. It's not a sealed system like we have. And that's always going to be the problematic thing of how do I make a sealed system to accommodate that, that hinge? We're not there yet. Well, in our, uh, in our chat there at geeks.live, cause we do stream this when we do record, we do have, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to pronounce this macro RL saying Linus from Linus tech tips, also daily drives a galaxy fold. So I'll just go, uh, hop, hop on over there track him down and ask him what he thinks about it. That's what I should do instead. And I'm sure that won't result in any form of arrest. Uh, last thing I want to just say before we hop off of this is uh, we did actually have a correction in our live chat. Uh, we had said that there was only one year of the iPhone mini. It looks like it was the 12 and the 13. It looks oh, like okay. it, it looks like. So uh, bef now that everybody is probably written their angry emails to us. Well, JS at going to geek.com. <laughs> 
the last thing I just want to quickly touch on here is bringing it full circle back to Kess CES. Uh, we had mentioned earlier about some of these concept things, including concept cars. Uh, I wanted to give a little acknowledgement here to something that that made its debut. It's called Project Arrow. And apparently what it is is it's a follow-up to something that was announced at CES 2020. And the gist of it was that it come up with a concept EV that was entirely Canadian made. And this is one of those things that when I look at this, this just screams this will never see this, the light of day. But they've now come up with a concept that that uh, taps a bunch of Canadian manufacturers of different things to bring this EV concept uh, together. And I wanted to mention this. Obviously, there's the cool look. It looks like, you know, theoretically possible. It might be a way, a way to make an all Canadian thing. But the more important thing was, as we look at, at EVs and we look at the current state of the world of still having chip shortages and, and other parts shortages and things like that, I like these thought exercises of, hey, we want to build this using only things from here. And I think it's a good thought exercise to maybe look at what sort of parts manufacturers or what companies can be tapped in order to overcome some of these obstacles that we're running into right now. Because I'm sure, you know, a lot of these Canadian possibilities that that have been come together here for this concept car probably had no thoughts of ever being a part of an EV uh, bef before this project. And so I just like this thought exercise of thinking outside the box to accomplish the some some form of current or future tech such as an EV. So I, I like these sort of thought exercises. Like I said, I, I personally doubt we'll ever see this, but who knows? Fortunately, the technology needed to go into the raw materials, needed to go into manufacturing an EV right now, makes it inherently worldwide production. You, you can't have a true domestic, no country can have a true domestic. However, the assembly, the engineering, the most of the production can be in a singular country. And mm -hmm. I don't see why Canada can't be a place for that. Well, I... Yeah. Anyways, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to harp on this too much, but I will. I will, however, say that um, I think that these sort of exercises where you're limiting your scope is is maybe what helps alleviate some of those concerns that you just mentioned. Like, you know, um, it, it might start to bring some of these battery challenges or these other things together when when you're limiting the scope of your parameters. I don't know. I, I like them myself, but I wanted to mention it. So there you go. Project Arrow, which is obviously named after the CDW television show Arrow. Of course. I hope it's green. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's quickly talk about some of our holiday geekery after this. I, I don't know why I segued the bump. That's fine. Uh, so it was uh, it was holiday season. We were recording this on January 9th, 2023. And some of us got some holiday geekery accomplished. Some of us got some holiday activities accomplished that were geek related. And some of us got some holiday geekery stuff. And we wanted to just take a, a few minutes to talk a little bit about that. And I want to start off with Chris who said that he's he cried a lot. He said that he cried a lot. In fact, I think he said six out of seven days of the week, he had a far cry. 
That's true. And what he's meaning there is some of the stuff I got into is I had a lot of time off for the holidays. I had user lose vacation I needed to burn. So I got some video game time in. And one of the games I'd played was Far Cry 6. I didn't get very far in that because there were a couple other games that distracted me. But that is a game from Ubisoft where Giancarlo Esposito plays the main antagonist. And he's absolutely glorious in it because it's Giancarlo Esposito. He's amazing. I've had a lot of fun with the game, but I got more distracted by playing a couple other games that are a part of my Xbox Game Pass subscription. The first is Vampire Survivors, which is kind of a roguelite top-down dungeon crawler game. Now, it's gotten pretty popular on PC. It's on Xbox as well, and they made it part of the, the uh, Game Pass collection. I've been playing it via cloud streaming on my Pixel phone, basically, because it was something that I could pick up and play easily just sitting on the couch. And there's touchscreen controls, but it also paired nicely with a Bluetooth controller or a clip-on USB-C controller. And it's a game that you can play for about 15 minutes of time and just have a blast with. And I know I understand and can see how some people put hundreds of hours into this game just because it's a good time killer and it's just fun. And I had a blast with it. The other game I picked up and played also on Game Pass is a game called High on Life. It's by Justin Roiland, who you might know as a voice actor and creator from Rick and Morty. Justin Roiland does many of the voices you hear on that show. Well, he built a game studio recently or over the years, and they put out their first game that came out on Game Pass. And it is a comedy shooter, I guess would be the best way to put it. And the concept there is every weapon you acquire is an alien species called a Gatlian. So your guns talk to you and they give running commentary and they tell you things to do and they mouth off to you in the rest of this alien world that you're in. And the game is just hilarious. If you like Rick and Morty or Justin Roiland's kind of humor, it's a really interesting, fun game to pick up and play. And it was part of Game Pass. So it was relatively easy for me just to throw it on my Xbox and start playing it. And I had a lot of fun with it. In addition to getting some games played, I did watch... At least a couple things that jump out to me is on Netflix, I watched Glass Onion, which is the sequel to Knives Out. It is fantastic. It is a bit more fantastical than Knives Out was, but it is a really, really good watch. And Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc continues to be something that just delights me every time he's on screen. And I really enjoyed this movie. I thought I had it nailed. I thought I knew what was going on. And then halfway through the movie, I was like, oh no, I, I was wrong. So it did its, It did what it was supposed to in that regard. For those that are unaware, Knives Out and Glass Onion are kind of Ryan Johnson's homages to the Agatha Christie novels and things like that, where he's telling his own mystery story. And the only thing that's the same between the two movies is Benoit Blanc, Daniel Craig's Southern detective, is the only character that's between both movies. Both movies are really good. If you have Netflix, go watch them. I'll have to check that out. Also on Netflix, I binge watched all of Wednesday, which is the show about Wednesday Adams, and it had a couple different viral moments over the break where there were some dance scenes and things like that that went viral. I thought it was delightful. Tim Burton directed it, and Tim Burton has that right aesthetic for Adams Family kind of stuff. I know some people had issues with Luis Guzman as Gomez Adams. I enjoyed it, but I also enjoyed, oh my God, why, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia was also really good casting really good casting and you could tell that both Luis Guzman and Catherine Zeta-Jones were having fun playing those roles in there and they're only guest stars I think they show up in like two maybe three episodes out of the eight episode run but the nice thing is it was just confirmed season two of Wednesday has been greenlit so they will be doing another eight episodes of that presumably and I I'm looking forward to it it's fun I agree must be low cost because you know Netflix is cost cutting right now so for them to get a hit 
that's lower cost in the production area is it's actually good for them. It was I think it might I don't know if it's low cost necessarily, but just the fact that it was their number one show and knocked off a bunch of other things was like one of their largest shows in five plus years or something like that kind of made it so that you can put up with that additional cost in comparison to other stuff. But yeah, they have been cutting a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they gotta have they gotta have at least a couple of those hits to keep people around when they're going through all of this other crap that's that's giving people less and less of a reason to keep it. So they got to have well, a couple of them. Netflix is shooting themselves in the foot now because a lot of people aren't taking a chance on shows because they're like, well, Netflix is just going to cancel it. And then Netflix cancels it and people are like, oh, I'm glad I didn't take a chance on that show. Yeah. It's a problem. And then I had to do some tech refresh. Well, one thing I had to do tech refresh wise, the other two I did just because I had a Z-Wave switch that failed. It was the uh, light switch I used to control the lights over top of my garage outside, which was just so to turn on dust to dawn, basically. But I had a Z-Wave GE switch that it just failed. and It would just kept clicking off and on, off and on, off and on. I was like, why are my lights blinking? I thought I had a busted LED bulb. And I walked downstairs and I just heard it clicking off and on. The problem was I could not find the original light switch that I had put it, that it was in there. So I just disconnected it electrical taped off the wires and it just sat disconnected for about six days while i waited for a replacement switch to come in from amazon i did not get a z-wave switch this time around i just got a 20 dollars ge wi-fi switch i think it's sync by ge is what it's called and i downloaded their app just to do the installation and then i set all my scheduling and stuff up through the google home app so i've been using google home to manage the schedule on that by doing automations and that seems to have worked perfectly fine the only problem i ran into with this wi-fi switch is i have mesh wi-fi and it kept trying to grab onto the wi-fi point that was furthest away so it's saying oh we don't have a good signal on here so i had to temporarily dump the network down to 2.4 gigahertz only to connect because when it was on dual channel it kept trying to grab the wrong thing i don't know why but luckily with Eero, i just push a button in the app and it turned everything 2.4 for 10 minutes you are not alone with this this is this is like i will say the number one issue that i see people run into using wi-fi devices and um it's so frustrating because they will try to they will they're so stupid that they'll try to connect to five gigahertz band the five gigahertz part of the ssid when they don't mm -hmm. have that capability it's so ridiculous and then the other thing too is sometimes going to the wrong ap yep. that though that there i i will say is more than just that i actually funny enough just ran into this two days ago where people in my house were complaining that they had no wi-fi signal when they went somewhere like my son's like i can't use my switch in my room there's no wi-fi i'm like what are you talking about i designed this and then they would go elsewhere and they'd be like i, I got none and then I Googled and switches are apparently awful at roaming between different APs. Apparently it's a known yes. issue. And I'm just like, this is, this is ridiculous. Especially such a high end device, like a switch. I will maybe give the benefit of the doubt to your $20 switch, like light switch. So, but I'm talking here, here, a Nintendo switch is what I'm referring to. Apple devices are notorious. At just glomming onto one of the nodes and not wanting to roam either. As long as the signal stays <laughs> a certain strength. Really? So, I didn't know that. I've, I've had the same problem. Oh, my, I had uh, no idea. MacBook Air. How many times do you get a new device notification in your Eero network? I don't have that turned on. Okay. So I, I just go through and check from time to time. But the other reason, well, that'll happen too. If people have the privacy mode turned on in Mac OS or iOS and I turn off private relay on my own network because I don't need to obscure my Mac address to, from myself. It's unnecessary. But I did mention Eero. One of the things I did do over the holiday break is they're running one of their deals 
for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, which was if you traded in Wi-Fi gear on Amazon, they would give you a hefty discount on Eero hardware. So I traded in an Eero Pro 5 that had been sitting in my utility closet not being used and an Eero Beacon that had been not being used. Traded those in, got 80 bucks, but that also then gave me like 25% off trade-in value if I bought new Eero hardware on Amazon. Plus all the Eero hardware was on sale for Cyber Monday. So I got another two Eero Pro 6Es and I now have three Eero Pro 6Es doing the mesh within my house. And it solved a lot of my issues I'd had where I was having weird signal drop issues because everything's now backhauling on 6E because there's not a lot of 6E interference. So I went from, I could be standing in my dining room and all of a sudden I would get like 80 megabits per second down. I have a gigabit plan. And then once I put in two more 6E nodes, basically one on each floor of my house, I can be standing in my dining room in that same place and on my phone on Wi-Fi 5, get about 600 megabits per second down. And if my phone's on Wi-Fi 6, a gigabit down, basically. So the the, excuse me, the Eero 6E saved a lot of my coverage issues. And then finally, last thing I did, they announced a bunch of new iPads, which meant it was time to look and see what they were doing with the most recent gen of iPads. And I picked up a 12.9-inch uh, iPad Pro because they knocked down the prices by less the 256 gigabyte model was 899, I think it was, because they discounted it for all the new ones that were coming in. And it's the M1 one as well. So it's basically just about as powerful as my laptop that I have sitting right there. I've been able to do some video editing on it, which actually worked pretty well with DaVinci. Uh, what's the product name? Resolve. 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 Yeah, DaVinci Resolve for or iPad if, OS. If you'd prefer Resolve A. Yeah. Resolve for iPad OS actually works pretty well. If you have an Apple Pencil, it makes it even easier. So that's been a fun thing. And I traded in my old first gen iPad Pro. And they gave me like $300 for it. So I think I paid Ooh. something like 600 bucks for a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, which the way I use my iPads, they basically hang around for about three to five years. So that's plenty powerful for that. And I've been enjoying it, but it, it's it's a noticeable size difference to go to the 12.9 inch display. So is that a first generation, like literally first generation iPad, or is that second generation? No camera, no camera. <laughs> no first generation. So I had a second iPad. It is, by the way, for the audio yeah. listener, I'm holding up a first gen iPad that I happen to have sitting here because for years it was my soundboard for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my daughter had an iPad too, not the second generation iPad too, literally the one that came after that one. Yeah, and I had it as a surveillance system monitor in my workout room. And unfortunately, the battery finally got to the point where it literally wouldn't translate enough energy from the charger to the battery to the system in order to work, right? And I tried to change the battery out, and I was careful. I did everything you're supposed to do with the heat gun and everything. And the screen, I was just lifting it up, and it was so brittle because it's so old. It just... So I tried to keep it going, but just couldn't. And then my dad actually had the same iPad too. And I just replaced the crack screen with that for now. But I know eventually that battery is going to go too. Chris mentioned that you keep on your iPads for about every three years. Three to five. I think I am going to refresh my refurbished iPads about every two years. I think that's what I'm looking at because... I'm on the tail end of the usable-ness uh, of it right now. I think I have the second generation 10-inch uh, 
10.9 inch uh, iPad Pro right now, which is uh, four or five years old. So I think next year is when I'm going to have to upgrade that. So yeah, you have to think in terms of tech refresh with all this stuff. You, you just can't let it go forever or else it becomes a brick like my iPad 2 and Steven's original iPad. Unless, wait a minute, are you an ultimate Frisbee guy, Steven? I am not. Why? Because you could probably use it in Ultimate Frisbee well, at this point. Great idea. Maybe I should take it up just for that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what did you get up to then for this uh, holiday season there, SP? Well, I have, because I fell off the roof uh, uh, quite a few years ago doing my holiday decorations, I like took that out of the rotation and trashed all of my holiday decorations. And I've been starting from the ground up. I've been adding a piece or two every year. And this year I added a big inflatable dog. It, it's huge. It's humongous. It actually took over my entire great room, which is a huge great room with a nine foot ceiling. It was actually too tall for the great room when I was just getting it ready to go outside. So everybody loved it. I had a lot of people drive by and, and you know, thank me for it, whatever. So that's pretty cool. But I'm like, what am I going to do next year? So this year I started to uh, throw in some uh, water resistant junction boxes. It's not high tech at all, but if you don't protect those junctions and those controllers that are out there from getting wet or for, uh, more appropriately for my area, getting water in there, then freezing, and then that ice expanding and then ruining that control box that's on there for like movable lights and stuff like that. So I got some of those, tried them out, liked them this year. So I think I'm going to be going ahead with those. Then next year, it's kind of simple, but I am finding it difficult to find exactly what I want. I want a lighted garland for my light pole outside. And then that's the difficult part. The easy part will be throwing in some lighted bulbs against the outdoor lights and in the pole itself. So that's what I'm planning to do next year. But you kind of got to make those plans this year as you're looking at it and you're seeing everything to come together. Because if you wait for like when you finally get out there and you're putting those decorations on in the United States is generally around American Thanksgiving at the end of November. Right. But if you wait until then, you've waited too long. So you have to go into uh, a year in advance, basically. Also did some changing of LED inflatable bulb replacement. It actually saved a considerable amount of wattage doing that, putting LEDs in there instead of the old incandescent night bulb lights. They're called C7 bulbs, but I did that. So that was a lot of what I did in November and December. Uh, for Christmas, for holiday gifts, I got the Hallmark Holiday Razorback. For those that don't know, I have a literal like eight-foot-tall holiday tree and it's just got geek ornaments just the entire thing is covered in geek ornaments well i got the razorback this year from hallmark so that's going up on the tree next year i actually got a pair for my sister theme socks seem to be a big deal this year right she got me a pair of rocket scientist rock uh, socks so that was pretty cool there i'm not wearing them right now otherwise i put my foot up towards the camera and, and you get a great view of that i also <laughs> So I'm I'm making the Christmas Day prime rib roast, right? And it calls for a a seasoning basically that you throw on it and you throw it in the fridge for about 24 hours, a pepper and salt. It's generally when you're talking about beef, that's what you do. I have this old pepper mill grinder that you 
basically clamp your hand and grinds. And I needed so much ground pepper that I was doing that for like half an hour. I'm, I'm serious. It was, it was, I had switched <laughs> hands. I was like, what is going on? So Christmas day, I finally make the decision. I'm going to do something about this. So I'm searching on my phone and I find electric pepper mills and their pepper grinders and salt mills. They're basically the same thing. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try one. So I order it, but it's backlogged. It doesn't come in until New Year's weekend. It comes in. It's you can get very lavish rechargeable ones, like USB rechargeable ones. This is simply a AAA, six AAA batteries go into it. So I threw the peppercorn in there and I threw the batteries in there. I'm like, okay, how does this work? And it's really neat. You just tip it over and then it starts grinding the pepper. It's really neat. Wow. I, I really like it. Yeah. And you don't cramp your hand or anything and you can have it go as long as the battery is there. So it's, it's pretty cool. And I got kind of bigger ones, so it's got a big reservoir on it. So I don't have to worry about running out of everything. So I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. I don't use a lot of pepper in my cooking, in my food, but I use some from time to time, just not a lot. So I just put it on the shelf everybody just ran to it and like, Oh, this is so cool. So everything for a week has been caked with pepper <laughs> that everybody's been eating. Right. <laughs> so, and then they're like, Oh, I wish we would have a salt one of these. So I'm like, okay. So I ordered another one for salt. It just came today and I knew nothing about this Himalaya sea salt. Oh, of course. Good. Yeah. Right. So I get it. It's pink too. So it's yeah, colorful, right? I use pink Himalayan sea salt. Yeah. So I, got the uh, salt one. It, it's the same thing. I just got a different color. You know, you could have the same color. The, the ones I got come in black, silver, or copper. So I got black for the pepper one, and I got silver for the, uh, the, the Himalayan salt. Could it have been the same thing? Yeah, but I was just trying to change it up and be different. So I know what I'm grabbing when it's on the table, right? So I did that. And the first thing my daughter did, she, I'm, I'm like putting in the batteries and she oh, is that the sea salt wine? She just took it and just got a plate. There's no food. Just got a plate and just turn it upside down. <laughs> All the salt's going on the table. So that was my tech upgrade for, <laughs> for the holidays so was I went for this. I'll, I'll send you guys the link of it. What I got might not be what you want because I, like I said, there's a bunch of rechargeable stuff out there and everything, but I just went with something that was highly rated and it works. When are you getting your battery-powered cheese grater so you can have all the Parmesan you want? I didn't even know that existed. I so. don't know if it does. I'm just assuming it does. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's probably... I'm not a big Parmesan guy, but I could see the daughter is wanting to do that. So, yeah. I just want to know then, if your uh, your electric salt and pepper grinders have the ability just to put them up against a wall and have a vacuum seal keep it there. Is that possible? <laughs> probably. Let's make it. <laughs> unfortunately six triple a batteries ain't gonna last that long no and then the last thing like chris i it was like within two days chris i think i had a z switch fail as well i haven't replaced it yet it still works unlike chris's all that mine did was it lost its smart capability so it still turns on and off but i can't connect it to anything i can't connect it to any of the hubs or anything and here is my issue with going the route that uh, you did, Chris, is the whole reason that I went Z-Wave was try to offload as much as I could from the Wi-Fi part of the network onto something like Z-Wave or Zigbee. So I'm still hesitant about getting a Wi-Fi switch, but the more and more I look, it seems like that's 
just the standard right now. However, with Matter coming on board right now, there's not a lot of options right now. But in like six months, nine months, so why would I put 20, 30, 40 bucks into a switch today where I know I can get something better in a few months from now. So that's fair. Here is my train of thought on that was that I thought about getting another Z-Wave switch because that would just work with my mesh, with my uh, smart things hub and things like that. The Z-Wave switch was two and a half times the cost of the Wi-Fi switch. Now, well, it's only one switch and I just need this to work and I don't want to have to go and flip the switch off and on at night. First world problem, I know, but I liked having that on a schedule so I didn't have to worry about turning those lights off and on. And I said, this is 20 bucks. If it doesn't work, whatever, at least there's a switch in place. And for 20 bucks, I don't care. I'll replace it with something else in the future if I need to. It was relatively reviewed well enough, well enough. And it was half the price of something similar to what I'd had before. And you weren't worried about, at all about encroaching Wi-Fi congestion in your oh, own network? Care. There's okay. so there's there's like 80 devices connected to my network. It's never been a problem. I know I've got like 200, but yeah, I, I would uh, like no. to get less and less. Right. For, for me, it's my, only my, the 2.4. My train of thought of, of this, because you don't have a big Z-Wave or Zigbee network like I do, right? So so from my thoughts, I would actually probably pay the money for myself. But for you, you don't have one. So my, my train of thought would be that matter when these devices are going to come is still unknown. We're still not seeing them on mass yet. But what we do know is that that is, that is going to be what is going to be more readily available because so many people are involved with it. So you're buying something that is not in the future tech anyways, whether you go Zigbee or Z-Wave. So just plan on buying the cheapest thing that you can, which is a Wi-Fi switch, and be out of date, saving yourself money, and then plan to eventually replace it once you start to go through, if you need that technology, like if you need the smart switch there, you're going to replace it probably down the road anyways to that standard of matter. And since you've already, you don't have a big network, you're not really, you're not really out much. Like for me, if I went and I now I'm throwing Wi-Fi into the mix of a whole bunch of existing Z-Wave and Zigbee stuff. For me, I'm not going to have Matter come out and be like, I need to upgrade everything. It's not going to happen. It's cost prohibitive. But for you, you don't have that much stuff. Maybe it would get to the point that you might have the right Matter deal come along. You go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to rip out all my Z-Wave. I'm going to throw in all Matter. I already ripped out all my Z-Wave stuff. I only had one switch on Z-Wave. Okay. So it was it was not much of a concern for me. Mostly my concern was the quickest thing I could get for the relatively best price that the functionality was back again. Stephen, what do you consider a big Z-Wave network? Me? Uh, yeah. I've got, I'd have to go look, but we're like, I, for, I'm more Zigbee, but like I've probably, okay. I would push probably upwards of 100 devices. All right, because I'm at, pushing 50 oh okay then maybe maybe you do then i, I mean, didn't realize you had that many i i my understanding of your network was entirely wrong so yeah, i've got a lot of switches and they're all z-wave switches and i've got a lot of plugs that okay. are all in there and i've got uh, a lot of some various other things so, I, yeah i, I, I do actually corrected. have a lot i stand corrected i thought you only had like 10 i i thought you were in the realm of 10 no i i absolutely might change my mind on that then uh, well, my concern different. there is I'm running on two hubs. I'm running on the 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 HVAC hub, right? Which I don't think that's going to last a couple more years. I'm going to have to buy a new one. And then uh, the Samsung SmartThings hub, which they don't make anymore. And yeah, you could get a SmartThings hub that's made by a, another manufacturer, but 
I don't know. I think I'm in this area where I really need to move to matter and matter's not there yet. Well, so. anyways, we'll take this offline. I'd love to have people come to our discord server to talk about smart home. We have a smart home channel there because there's a few nuances in there, which I think, I, I think are not entirely the right frame of mind because I, I believe I just saw an article that talk about how there is actually a new smart things hub in a different smart device now like it's a small right. i forget what it was but it's it's not the thing you're referring to it was a different i believe samsung device that has a hub in it it's um, like a refrigerator or a tv now right no it was something different than that but i'd have to have a look uh okay. smart thing station has a thread radio but not a z-wave one uh samsung smart thing station so so i think there is anyways let's talk in the discord server uh, yeah. let's, let's have everybody come over there uh but I, yeah, now you got me rethinking that, but we'd love to know what your thoughts are. Come to goodnageek.com slash discord. Let SP know what you think he should do if he wants to get that switch replaced, because I think you could, you could, um, look at it from a couple different angles, given that matter is not readily available yet, but will eventually be. Now for me, for my smart stuff or my geek stuff, I'll just make it simple. Uh, I big thing that I, I've been using over the last few weeks is I have moved from one mechanical keyboard to two. I fell in, <laughs> fell in love. I, I use two keyboards on a daily basis in my setup with the desk setup. And I had a Keychron K4, loved it. For Christmas, I did end up getting a Keychron K2, which is a secondary keyboard. It doesn't have a number pad on it. It's missing a couple keys, but it's great for my secondary keyboard, which is like when I'm podcasting, I don't need all that extra stuff. It's smaller and I really like the Keychron feel. I'm quite happy with Keychron overall. Um, I haven't tried many other different, different keyboards, but for me, um, it's been the best out of what I have tried. Uh, I want to say on the gaming front, on the gaming front, I was sitting there one night and an ad popped up on some search that Quake 3 Arena was on sale for $8. Quake 3 Arena is a game that I played when I nice. was younger, played too many hours of it. And I'm like, eight bucks? Let me give you my money right now. And I did it and I installed it and I played for a little bit. I played for played it a few different days. And I've, I just occasionally will just flash it up, play for like half hour, just for fun, just takes me back. And I have to say, this nostalgia of PC gaming is something that when I see these games that are now being sold now that have uh, somehow work with modern technology, I'm probably going to just buy them here and there if they're like around 10 bucks, just because they are fun. Just I, I always say I'd love to play gaming. I'd love to get into gaming. I just don't have the time to get into like serious gaming. So stuff like this is just kind of fun where it's like, hey, I'm sitting here. I got nothing to do. Let me fire up Quake 3 Arena for half an hour. It's got kind of fun. Um, the other thing that I want to mention as well is for my Christmas display. I feel like I'm I'm I've worked my way to the right area that I want to be with a smart display. Um, I've got a bunch of uh individually controllable lights that came into play. And I had them all over my yard and it just worked as I had been hoping for a few years now. So I'm looking forward to making it an easier setup next time and sort of refining it as year, years go on. So that was a lot of fun for me. And the last thing that I want to mention right now is that I, uh, I legitimately considered possibly switching to an iPhone or a Samsung S22, <gasps> contrary to all the things that I've said, because I have been having a warranty issue with my Pixel. Long story short, I decided to stay the course, which was that I made the decision during Black Friday with not to not upgrade my phone this year. I had to upgrade my wife's phone this year. And I decided that at that point, 
I want offset upgrade cycles. I don't want them in the same year, but I was so getting frustrated that I, I, I thought to myself, maybe I just, you know, go get another phone now. And then when the warranty thing is dealt with, I could sell that and just whatever. And, and I legitimately looked at both options and for, for many reasons, I, I believe that the pixel phones are still the right phone for me. And so I would just stay the course, go through the warranty process. And on the Android side of things, the Samsung phones, I went to so many review videos, so many review videos <laughs> comparing Pixel, the Pixel 7 versus the S22. And I went there looking for videos that looked slanted towards the S22, convincing, like in an effort to convince myself that I wanted to jump into Samsung. And every single time, the reviewers, no matter how biased they were, they would mention the, the set of Google features that come with the Pixel phones that often they're they're like bottom of their list. They're discounting them. They're like, yeah, you'll, you'll miss these things, but all these other reasons are why you like them. But for me, the Google features that they put into the, Bix, the Pixel phones, they, they just, I've had multiple Pixel phones. They're things that I've come to grow to like. They're things that I, I, I value. And I think a lot of these reviewers that haven't used a Pixel phone as a daily driver don't really know the benefits. So I couldn't convince myself to do that. And then with the iPhone, there's just too many things that for me, it's just, it's just not the right fit for me at this time. Um, maybe one day, but anyway, so long story short, stay the course, get my pixel six warranty issue dealt with, and maybe next year upgrade. I thought about your upgrade to your holiday display, okay. Stephen, <laughs> and I, I came up with the solution that I think you need to pursue. Okay. You need to put really, really good, like 8K slow mo picture, <laughs> slow motion capable cameras all around your display, even, you know, as much as you can on the front. I don't know if you could do like a wireless in uh, across the street, you know, convince a neighbor to, to put one up there or whatever, because I'm convinced, I mean, you've had a great run, but I'm convinced this next year, one of your great Canadian bears are going to come and it's just going to run into that Christmas town that you've got in front and go. And then you can make a killing when that viral video goes viral. And uh, yeah, just do slow motion. Make sure you have pyrotechnics in there. And yeah, just grab that video. You have to be prepared because I, like I think it's going to happen this year. I like it. So I set up the pyrotechnics ahead of time. And then I use AI on the security cameras to track whether or not it is a bear going through. And then it goes off. And if it's a person in a bear costume, well, then they get some pyrotechnics. I like it. And this, if it happens to be sense. a neighborhood kid that you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, well, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for checking out another episode of The Guinea Geek Show. Uh, if you would like to chat with us in between, including the smart home discussion that I think that SP now needs to bring to our Discord server and have a bunch of people chime in. I look forward to all the different opinions on that. You should come to guineageek.com slash Discord. We'd love to have you over there. And while you are checking that out, please do check out The Guinea Geek Network at gunnageek.com So for episode 397 of the official Gunna Geek show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying gunnageek.com slash discord. Tell me why I'm wrong. I'm SP saying I hope your 2023 is going great. We'll see you guys next month. And I'm Chris Farrell. See you guys in 30 days ish. Bye! 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 <laughs>
checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show if you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week. <laughs>